0: and welcome to Buy Association, a new podcast from the Illinois Soybean Association. I'm Rachel Peabody and I'm Betsy Osmond and today we'll be talking to Steve Pistick, ISA chairman and Illinois soybean farmer. Steve's rise to ISA chairman is the story of a self-made man and a first-gen farmer. We'll discuss his passion for what's next in ag tech, his forward-thinking approach to agriculture and why he has so much in common with millennials. Welcome Steve.
1: Hey, thanks, Rachel. It's it's a pleasure to be on this first podcast and uh, tell everybody a little bit about myself, what I do, where I've been, and uh, what I look for in the future.
0: I think back to the first time that I met you, and um, I remember being a little bit awestruck because you'd been a person that I had followed on Ag Twitter for years. And then when I had the opportunity to have you come on our board, I felt like I knew you a little bit. Um, because of following you for years and knowing your passion and viewpoints on agriculture. Um, tell us a little bit about how you kind of dove in into that ag Twitter world and really kind of started building that Steve Pittstick brand.
1: Oh, wow. So if I think back to about 2008 or nine, most of the social media stuff was very new. And I remember going to a top producer uh, breakout seminar, about social media and how we need to be telling our story. And I came back home and I looked at Facebook and that didn't appeal to me. And Twitter just seemed like someplace I should be, but I got on, it was weird. It took a long time to figure out what you did, how you did a tweet, how you responded, all that kind of stuff. And just probably the first two years didn't really do much, just watched and and enjoyed other people's stuff, and then started tweeting maybe about 2010. Then I don't know what happened. Uh, by 2020, I was up to 17,000 followers. And we were just talking about ag. Myself and all the other farmers uh, kind of built ag Twitter into what it was. It was just you know sharing stories across the country. I, I often say that it came out at the same time as AutoSteer. And I'm not sure that if AutoSteer came out so that we could tweet, or if Twitter came out so that we had something to do while the tractor was driving itself. (laughs) But anyway, it it worked out really well and uh, built a great friendship uh, across the country with farmers. Uh, It was a really neat experience.
2: Steve, talk to us a little bit about how you have seen the ag tech industry change over the years. Over the last handful of years, how have you seen the industry really change and evolve? And what would you say some of those biggest um, evolutions have been?
1: Yeah, so I go way back to the beginning of ag tech, uh, the mid 90s, when yield monitors, monitors came out, that was our first real chance to see what a field yielded across the field the, and, and saw the variability. Up until then, we just measured it by wagon loads or how many rings in a bin we get off that field. And I had one of the first yield monitors around, and I have data going back to 1996. It's kind of cool, but uh, I don't do much with it because we've changed so much in the way we do things since then. uh, The data doesn't mean much. But as we built computing power, better systems, implemented auto steer, swath control, all those things through the 2000 era up until about 2009, 10 we kind of looked at it, we, we grabbed data, we, we didn't know what to do with it. It was pretty much one-dimensional. Uh, we had pretty maps, but we didn't know what to do with it. Uh, in 2010, 11, 12, in that era, the iPad came out. And the iPad was great. Uh, because it was a mobile device, a mobile computer that you could take out of the house, you could go out to the field, you could look at those maps and and actually know where you were at on the map. So you could ground truth, maybe a low-yielding spot or whatever. That whole area blew up. Partially for me, I was I was uh, showing a lot of the stuff we were doing with the iPad in the 2012-13 era. Some guys from a company in Chicago called 640 Drive found me and because of my close proximity, wanted to partner with me and tried to uh, figure out where they could go as a business and and what the farmer needed. Uh, We worked over that project over the next year. Uh, That company eventually got bought by Monsanto. It became the FieldView Drive. The reason it really took off was the ability to Bluetooth that data right from the tractor to the iPad and then to the cloud. There was no friction for the farmer, it just happened. Didn't have to download disks or USBs go to the home computer, it just happened. So that was a really neat part. We also worked at the time train to accumulate more data, traffic patterns of uh, the machines in the field. We even looked at the grain carts and looking at heat maps of uh, tracking where that grain cart went in the field and how much applied weight was it at, at, at every given point. What we were doing is just trying to figure out how yield happened, what the restrictions were, Uh, what caused the different parts of the field to do what it did. I had 15 or 20 years of data, uh, but I really didn't know what the cause and effect was. So this started opening up insights into how it was happening and why. Uh, One of the things that I learned early on was some aerial imaging, and it was very crude at the time, 2014, 15, but I could see a lot of mistakes that I was making as a farmer. Uh, whether it was traffic patterns, uh, you know, fertilizer running out in a certain area, or weed control. By doing it, I knew what I was doing and I could see the impacts and then made beneficial changes uh, to that. So ag tech has, has, has helped me a lot in just learning what I was doing better or, or needed to do better. So it's been a whole evolutionary process. Right now, we're kind of in the stage. We're still, we still don't know what we don't know. So we're still trying to uh, grab data, uh, try to make conclusions. One of the biggest problems in ag is our production cycle is so long. It's a whole year. So I've been farming almost uh, 45 years. So I've only got 45 production runs. And every year is different. So trying to come to a conclusion, a lot of the industry wants to get into AI and machine learning and figuring out what we do. I think part of it is good that it's a long production cycle and we're not figuring that stuff out quickly because it allows us as farmers to be farmers, what we love to do. And uh, otherwise, you know, if the whole thing becomes AI, anybody could be a farmer. So we're going through that natural evolution of just trying to figure out what we need and where we need to go.
0: Steve, one of my favorite things I think that we've always talked about um, and especially because I am a millennial, but you've always said that as a first generation farmer um, and, you know, just kind of doing things your own way and being an early adopter of ag tech and having that natural curiosity, you said you've always kind of felt like you've had so much in common with millennials. And I think that's really cool too, is you, as I watch you interface with younger farmers and kind of inspire them to go after it and get more involved and to make some of those adoptions on their farm and to kind of approach things with new thinking tell me a little bit more about how you do feel like you connect with that millennial generation a little bit more
1: yeah I think I've just uh I've never wanted to grow up so I, I relate back to the the younger generations wherever they may be uh whether it's social media trying to have a presence there uh, really get into that but I go back in my in my younger days I was always always intrigued by a lot of other things. I always farmed. I started farming when I was, you could, you could say five, with a pedal tractor, uh, built equipment for it as I was a young man, got into pigs and uh, 4-H project in the junior high, transitioned into farming, renting land. So my family has been a, a long-time farming family. But I, I say that I'm a first-generation farmer because... In the traditional sense, most people think of multi-generational farms as it gets handed down to the next generation, whatever the previous generations have built. But I, on the other hand, my dad kind of got us started, and then we kind of left the nest and went off and farmed on our own. So what I have, I've built. It's not been handed down from previous generations. You know, there was a learning process there, trying to figure it out, you know, raise a family farm. There were some difficult times in the 80s, 90s, but we, we moved forward a lot of livestock, very diversified. One of the things I did in the mid, uh, late 80s, 1988, as um, I was always intrigued by the consumer side of things, consumerism, whatever, I started a video store. And this is way back, you know, before Netflix and all those cool things that you just show up on your phone now, you had to go someplace and rent a, a video cassette to watch a movie. So I had a uh, store in a small town. I was 30 years old. I I started this store and it was really neat from a farmer aspect. I had no clue of what retail was like, but the cool part of it was I got to set my price. And as a farmer, I never get to set my price. I always take what the market gives. But in in the video store, I could set my price. But the thing I learned was I had to figure out how to get people to come in my store, rent the movie, and then come back again next week. So that whole advertising thing and, and telling your story and trying to get people to come in was, was interesting, but it really helped me build my farm business and think about farming differently. Because in farming, we don't get to set our price and, and we talk about that a lot. We buy wholesale, sell retail, you know, whatever it is. We don't get to do that. But in agriculture, we have the unique opportunity that any day we need money. If the market is open, we can load up the truck and go to market and get money for that crop. We don't have to bring that consumer in to uh, buy our product. So while we can't set our price, we can raise funds any day. So that learning experience was great. Uh, And the farm, it made me look at my business differently. Uh, Moving forward, uh, just, you know, I looked at everything with uh, an ROI perspective. You know, do I buy this? What does it, does it really work? can i pay for it versus a lot of things in your younger days you're competing with the old the old established farmers which i kind of am now i guess but uh, they've got all this stuff that they've accumulated over time and you want to be like them and buy this new stuff but it doesn't pay so you really got to pay attention to uh, what you need and what you want
2: the first time that i interviewed you it was for an article i think it was for an ag tech magazine issue that we were working on, and I loved what you said about um, this, the adoption spectrum and how you know the industry needs the early adopters and the late op- adopters and how it's sort of this perfect ecology of people who, wherever they're at on the ag tech adoption spectrum, that's that's where they're supposed to be. That's the right place for them. And I love sort of your philosophy around that, around wherever you're at, that's, that's where the industry needs you to be. Talk a little bit more about that and about sort of where you find yourself on that spectrum.
1: Yeah. So just thinking about people's adoption curves and what they're comfortable with, you know, everybody that has a different spot in life, a different uh, generational upbringing, what their values are. Uh, where they're coming from. And I think that fits in with ag tech, it fits into the used machinery market, it fits into used cars. If you look at the automobile industry, or even the tractor industry, not everybody can be first buyers. But the second, third, fourth buyers of equipment, or cars are very vital, because the people that want to buy the very first thing need to have the person to sell that second thing through to when they're tired of it. And that third buyer, fourth buyer, whatever it might be, and I think the same thing happens in tech. There's those of us that want to be on the bleeding edge or cutting edge, that will deal with the struggles of getting it right. And then there's the next guy that doesn't want to deal with all that. He just wants it to plug and play and work. You know, then there's the later the generations that can't afford it or don't want to. They all fit into that whole eco cycle of of where that uh, product is bought, purchased, and gives a price point or or an economy, if you will, uh, for whatever technology it may be.
0: One thing um, that I think you bring to check off boards in particular, and especially through your leadership here um, as chairman the past uh, year, you think differently. And you kind of referenced that um, a little earlier in the conversation. How do you apply your own kind of thinking differently, kind of a fresh take, honestly, on checkoff leadership. How do you apply that to um, what the Illinois Soybean Association checkoff is doing? And how do you think your influence is kind of helping to shape maybe where we go next?
1: Yeah. So I just look at things kind of, uh, you know, go back 20, 30 years ago. Most of the farmers on the board were just farmers. That's all they did. And then they got on a board and, and brought their leadership to the board. I think in today's day and age, a lot of the people that are on the board now have multi-knowledge paths, if you will. We've got people that were engineers, people that are in the banking side, insurance side. We bring a lot of different things to the board, a lot of different knowledge. I talk about, you 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 need to think outside the box to the extent of what you know or have been exposed to. You get outside the box, you're still in a box. So what you ultimately need to do is find a whole bunch of other people that have different boxes of knowledge and then combine all that knowledge together. And I think that's what we're doing here on the board now. In the last you know few years, we've brought a lot of different uh, subject matter experts to the board with different ideas that can think bigger just because they've been exposed to much more. I think it's really building a very dynamic board, uh, it's very thoughtful in the way we're doing things and trying to think of new things that maybe not have been thought of by farmers. But uh, if you have exposure to another industry, another field, you may try to cross pollinate is kind of the word, bring those ideas from somewhere else and uh, incorporating them into what we do.
2: I want to know what's next for you. What are you excited about? What are your hopes for what's next for ISA? Um, on the farm any of that
1: yeah a good question you know I sometimes think about how did I get here and it really wasn't you know I didn't put a stake in the ground 30 or 40 years ago and said that's where I want to be when I get old it just kind of came to this point through natural learnings uh, not saying no enough I guess somebody asked what you do this where you do that yeah why not And then that led to the next thing. There's just kind of been an evolution of where we went. Uh, One of the important things I think in my life, when I got out of the livestock business in the mid nineties, I kind of decided that I didn't want to be the farmer that sat around and said they should do something about whatever it was. I kind of decided that I wanted to be one of those people that made a difference and heard the saying that those that show up write the rules. So, in the mid '90s, I got out of livestock, as I said, but I did just want to be a grain farmer. So I tried to broaden my scope. I got a crop a CCA. Uh, I passed the CCA exam. I had my crop insurance uh, license. I had a real estate license. All this stuff I acquired in two or three times there, two or three years in the mid '90s, and just kind of got more educated in what you know the complementary industries were in agriculture. But then I also had an opportunity to be in the first class of the Illinois Soy Leader Program, 1995, I believe it was. And just kind of exposed me to a whole world I didn't really have any idea existed out there. You know, I remember going to ADM and seeing the soybean meal plant and using the, the uh, heat to grow other stuff. And then we went to a plant in Chicago that was taking used cooking oil and getting the glycerin out of it, trying to figure out how to burn that. You know, this is the early days of soy diesel. Then I moved on to the Illinois Ag Leadership Program. Part of that program was traveling, and we spent time in uh, Washington State, Washington, D.C. The international trip was to Germany and Egypt. So 25 years ago, I had a chance to touch the pyramids. Really opened up my outlook on what the whole world was about. Not something you see uh, just driving around, you know, the county. Got me out. Saw how big the world was, and, and really inspired me to do more. From there, I kind of stepped up into local farm bureau, uh, sports boosters, uh, community. A lot of stuff just was the guy that just did things. And then I took a pause for a while. Kind of got overwhelmed. Uh, a lot of stuff to do. Kind of where I'm in now. Came back at it again, uh, more so in the mid teens to 20, you know, 12 to 16, 17. More on the uh, ag tech and consulting. I was a consultant to about, uh, I think at the time, maybe six different startup companies, just giving a perspective of what farmers wanted and and why we needed it. And then uh, kind of matured on that, got tired of that, then moved into the soybean thing. Uh, 2018, a friend of mine, Dennis Wentworth, was on uh, the board years ago and he uh, he said, hey, let's get back on the soybean board and, and do something, I'm like, okay. But just trying to take, you know, as I look forward, trying to take all the experiences that I've had in life, trying to ultimately see where the white lines are of the path forward for the next generation of farmers. We're writing the rules today in leadership for the next generation, the next decade, you might say, just trying to find my experiences, how it relates to farming and what I do, and trying to provide that path for my son who is a farmer, hopefully some of my grandchildren come back to the farm, uh, just trying to Provide that path of knowledge that we're on the right course. I don't know where it goes from here. I have no idea. I never have. I never thought I'd be here. Life just happens sometimes.
0: I want to know what's the last thing that made you laugh. I have a feeling it was something on TikTok.
1: It was. <laughs> yeah, uh, TikTok is is so creative. There's so many really good creative people. I laugh at least once a day to something that somebody came up with. Uh, I never thought I would be on TikTok, but once I got started. Uh, Now I can't stop. It's a time burner of about the last two hours of my day, every day. But uh, again, it's expanded my knowledge of everything, because there's so many different things out there. I know about peanut harvesting in Georgia, I know about cotton in Texas, ranching in North Dakota during a blizzard, Uh, stuff that I would normally not be exposed to is different than Twitter. Uh, Twitter, you had to follow people to get their message on TikTok. It's totally random. You never know what's coming next, which makes it addictive to just one more, one more, one more, and then it's two hours later. So yeah, that's what makes me laugh. Just creative people. What's
2: the first CD or record that you ever owned?
1: Oh, I'm not sure I should tell this because it reveals (laughs) a lot, but in the 70s, Times were interesting. I'm not sure if it was Alice Cooper or Kiss, but uh, Ted Nugent wasn't far behind, and then ACDC was right there. So you can kind of tell where I was back in those days. Long hair down on my shoulders. That's just what we did. A-track player blaring in the uh, jacked-up 76 Silverado pickup. Yeah, it was a it was a fun time.
2: Steve, what current fact about your life would most impress your five-year-old self?
1: Yeah, so when I was five, four or five, I remember getting a pedal tractor. I still remember getting that pedal tractor for Christmas. And uh, last week, ironically, my four-year-old grandson was playing with that tractor. He thought it was pretty cool. But uh, if I think back about that, I ended up building a line of equipment for that. And if I think about what I'm doing now, it's just amazing, you know, the size of the equipment, the speed at which we do things it's just yeah that would amaze me just the auto steer the technology all the things that we do would be just uh, way different than the pedal tractor
2: we hope you enjoyed this episode of by association thank you to our guest steve pitstick Please follow along on the Illinois Soybean Association social media pages to stay up to date on everything we're doing to support the 43,000 soybean farmers we have here in Illinois. We'll see you next time.